First John chapter 3. And you'll begin there while I open the Bible to John chapter 13. So you're going to 1 John, which is just before Revelation. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, then Revelation. We began the new year, rightly so, considering God, who He is, that He's love, and that He loves us. I said that this is not a narcissistic message when I preached to you two weeks ago, when we swept everything off the table and said, let's just consider God's love for us. However, if we left things there with that sermon and didn't proceed with things like what we're going to hear today, it could have very well ended up as being a very narcissistic, it's all about me, sermon. The Bible doesn't let us take that approach. God doesn't let us take that approach. We have to respond now to God's love. I'm going to start now in John chapter 13, in the area where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm only going to read the first verse here, because you know this episode so well, Jesus putting the towel around his waist, washing the feet. This is how the first verse of John chapter 13 goes. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this is the Last Supper. Jesus puts a towel around his waist. He fills a basin with water and then begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Of course, you know the story. Peter protests, and Jesus says to Simon Peter, If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Remember that. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Why did he say that? I'm going to continue on here in John chapter 3. Listen now carefully. Jesus says this after he finishes washing their feet. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Turning now to John chapter 13, verse number 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Pay attention to how many times you're going to hear this phrase, love one another. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John chapter 15, verse number 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John chapter 15, verse number 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. First John, where you have your finger. Chapter 3, verse number 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, 
that we should love one another. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 23. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. I'm going twelve times you're you're hearing this phrase, love one another. But within the same body of this first John uh, text, this phrase comes up five times. Verse number 21, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Second John, just turn over a little bit more to the right. Second John, verse number 5. You see how this just continues relentlessly. You cannot escape. And now I ask you, Dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. The title of this message is, brothers and sisters, Love One Another. Let's pray. Father, for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of lost people, for the sake of our benefit, Lord, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and enter more fully into your love. Help us, we pray. We pray that your Spirit touches every part of this message. Lord, move in our minds and in our hearts to receive what you would have for us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Love one another. Well, notice. It says love one another. Why I say that, because I want you to also notice that it doesn't say, love your neighbor. It doesn't say, love your enemy. It doesn't say, love the lost. It doesn't even say, love others. There's a Greek word for others that is used well over 200 times in the Greek New Testament, and it, the word is the Greek word is alas, alas, others. But that's not the word that is relentlessly used in, this, this, in these texts that I've been sharing with you today. The Greek word is alelon, not alas, alelon. Alelon means simply one another. And it doesn't say love your movement. It doesn't say love your cause, no matter how noble it is. Because you can love a movement and you can love a cause, just like it says in 1 Corinthians 13. You can even die for your cause, but if you don't have love, you've gained nothing. You are nothing. We can't escape this morning. God in his word and Jesus Christ himself has said, love one another. The question for us this morning is, do we love one another. 
So who are the one another's? It's the church. Just flat out, it's the church, the body of Christ. It's those who have been born of God, born of God's Spirit. It's the Jesus people. That's who the one another's are. First John is written to people who have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The book of John was written to call people to consider Jesus Christ by faith and enter into life. John, where we started our passage today, John chapter 13, John was written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then believing you may have life in his name. And if there's anybody here today that hasn't surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, may this be the day of your salvation. That's why John wrote his gospel. But now, 1 John, 1 John, he's writing so that you who have claimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior would have assurance of your salvation. That you can be assured that you really have come to know Him. He's writing to brothers. You'll see it throughout this. And sisters in Christ. He, he uses the word children. He uses the word little children. Sometimes he uses the word beloved. He's writing to the church, and he's probably writing in Asia. This is long after Jerusalem has been destroyed. John is, according to most of the church fathers, is somewhere in Asia, probably near Ephesus, far away, hundreds of miles away from his homeland. And he's writing to pagans who have become Christians, Romans who have become Christians, Jews who have become Christians, this gathered, diverse group. And he's writing to them, Love one another. This message is intensely personal. Very personal. I'm going to start with a personal consideration, and then I'm going to move to a missional one that has to do with evangelism and then, and then the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says, shockingly, it says this, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. You can imitate God. You're called to. You're ordered to. Commanded to. Furthermore, the Bible says very plainly, in love, God adopted you as children. And in love, he is predestined for you. This has been determined by him for you, predestined, that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You're holding your finger now in John chapter 4. I thought it was important that we actually let our fingers go there. So you're not just trusting the pastor's words. But look at verse number 11. Chapter 4, verse 11. Talking about imitating God. Do you see the consistency of Scripture? Beloved, if God so loved us, well, how did he love us? You see the verse above. What did he do to show his love? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to bear our wrath, to bear our suffering, our, our sorrows, our punishment. He bore it all. Beloved, if God so loved us, it says in verse 11, we also ought to love one another. We must imitate him. Look at verse number 12. In so doing, when we love this way, we become, we're, we're becoming perfected. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in, in us, and his love is perfected in us. Do you see? 
This is consistent with the whole idea that we have been predestined by God to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse number 17 to see the consistency of that thought. By this is love perfected with us. How? Look at the the ending of that verse. Do you see where it says, Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Conform to his image. So how does Jesus love us? We saw that God loves us by sending his son to be a propitiation for our sins. What about Jesus? He's the son of God. How does he show love? We read, he washes the feet of those who will turn from him. He serves a meal He actually breaks bread, dips it in the wine, and gives it to one who is going to betray him. He prays for them, he sings for them, goes to the cross carrying our burden of sin. He bore our wrath. He cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But before he did that, he told his disciples and he said this, greater love has no one than this, than that he lays down his life for his friends. Brothers and sisters of Beacon Light, do you realize you're a family? Yes, you're the body of Christ. But do you know that you're a family? You're a family. And Jesus says, love each other the way I've loved you. Love one another that way, the way I have loved you. The early church did. The early church, the first church, the Pentecostal church, they loved each other that way. They served each other. They broke bread together, same table. They shared all their resources together. They prayed together. They sang together. They read scripture together. They lived life together. They carried each other's burdens there's a place called Boys Town. It got started in Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska. Father Flanagan, back in the early 1900s. The place started out as an orphanage for boys that had no home, and then it became also a place for those that were troubled boys, orphans and troubled boys coming to Boys Town. And it grew to be a huge place. There was an image, a painting, an image that became an icon, the image that represented Boys Town. I love that image. And it's this. You see this boy. He looks like he's about 10 years old, and he's looking right at you. And on his shoulders, he's got a little boy on his shoulders. Well, actually, the boy is, is uh, wrapped around his back on, uh, and arms around him, around his neck, and, and the 10-year-old boy is looking at you, and you're seeing the other boy, and he's asleep on the back of the one that's carrying him. And the caption below says this. The boy is looking right at you. The snow is falling on him, like you see in the background. And it's heavy snow, and he's walking through the snow, and he says this. He ain't heavy, Father. He's my brother. He ain't heavy, Father. 
He's my brother. Carry each other's burdens, it says in Scripture, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? That you love one another. See, that boy had it right. You know, when you carry each other's burdens and you serve each other and you love one another to the death, you, you break bread together at the same table, you share each other's foods, and when someone's got a prayer request, you carry it to the throne. Someone has needs of money or clothing, you share, you give, you share rides, you share meals, you do all of this together. If you are even ready to die for one another, you carry each other that way. You are fulfilling the law of Christ like the boy was. You want assurance that you're saved? All of you that are in here that are mature in your faith, you know that your assurance rests in what the Word of God says and that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But can I dare to challenge you today that the Bible also tells us to consider? You want assurance that you really know Jesus Christ? Then love one another. Would you look at verse number 17? You just looked at it. A day of judgment is coming. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence. Some translations say assurance. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. This is my commandment, Jesus said, that you love one another. It's not just assurance that we have when we love one another. You know what happens when you become more like Jesus and more like God? The more and more you get conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you experience a deeper sense of God's love for you, and your joy increases. Listen to what Jesus says here in John chapter 15. These things I have spoken to you, No, I'm sorry, I'm going to start in verse number four. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So what is your commandment, Jesus? The very next verse he says what his commandment is. This is my commandment, that you love one another. That's the personal touch. I want to move to missional evangelism. The Fellowship of Christian Athletes is a Christian ministry that has 1,500 huddles in high schools around the country, 1,500. They, too, have an, an image, a photo that is their icon, their, their image uh, for their ministry to Christian athletes in high schools all over the country. And it's a picture, you can picture a field, and there are 12 young men. They look like they're older teens that are in a huddle, in a circle, black and white. And, and then what you have right next to you as you're looking at the picture is a young boy. He looks like he's about 10. And he's wearing a jersey, number 18, and he's got a football underneath his arm. And he's looking at those football players that are gathered in that huddle. And you could tell he wants to join them. He wants to be part of them. 
the fellowship of Christian athletes. And that's what we've been called to do, to be together, to care for one another the way they did in the day of Pentecost, to love one another. In the day of Pentecost or in that early church, it says that numbers were being added to them day by day, day by day. Can we, can we as a church see that a big part of our evangelism as we share Jesus Christ is the way we carry ourselves, the way that we love one another, and when we love one another the way Jesus has called us to love one another, we will draw people. That's why he said, they will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another, by the love you have for one another. That's evangelism. Finally, I want to close the message in an area of the kingdom. Football teams will be playing today. And at the end of the football game, gathered in the center of the field, will be players from both sides who have just been banging each other, bruising one another, busting each other up for three hours. And when the game is over... The cameras won't go there much anymore. They avoid it, it seems. But in the middle of the field will be people from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and those from the New Orleans Saints. When the Chicago Bears play the Green Bay Packers, the media wants to hype up that this is the greatest rivalry in, in football. And they love it when there's this fierceness going on between the two teams who so badly want to beat them. But you won't see it. You won't see it because the cameras rarely go there anymore. But in the center of the field, when the game is over, players from the Green Bay Packers will be kneeling with players from the Chicago Bears. They're Christians. They're brothers. You will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. It's kingdom. The world is a mess right now. It's in turmoil. There's hatred. There's division. Tension all over the place. And the church's role, it's not just essential, it's critical. We have a crucial role now in society. We are a family, a most remarkable family. Brothers and sisters, we have it here, right here. But the church should be. A church that is made up of red and yellow, black and white, rich and poor, who love one another, who wash each other's feet, who eat each other's foods, listen to each other's music, Enjoy each other's culture. We pray together, sing together. We're in Christ. We do life together. And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to do to the natural self. Right around the corner, it's the biggest church probably in northwest Indiana. Hundreds of people gathered there. The church is a vibrant church. It's got all kinds of activity. Jesus Christ is preached there. It's mostly a white neighborhood there, but in the church, it's mostly black. Hardly any whites at all. South side of Chicago or in South Holland, there are churches that are from our own denomination. We're gathered. They're in a neighborhood that's very diverse, almost all black. But this morning, as I'm preaching to you right now, some of those churches are gathered and you may not find a single black person in there. 
We're here in Black Oak, across the street from the old firehouse where we just took an offering as a church. It's a good man preaching there. Good man pastoring there. He's prayed for me before. This morning, as they gather in an area that is almost all white, the church, with an exception of maybe one or two people, will be all black. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard to love one another the way Jesus called us to love one another. The Apostle Peter, he wanted to stay pure. He goes into a house after Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He gets into a dream and he dreams that a sheet's been let down and there are animals on there that are impure. And a voice says to him, eat, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter says, never, Lord. I've never let anything impure or common enter into me. And God says, don't call anything common that I have made clean. But it was very difficult for Peter. Imagine you being a Jew all your life trying to stay clean from being defiled by the pagans, by the unbelievers, by the uncircumcised. You don't go into their houses. You, don't, you never even step across their threshold, let alone eat with them and sleep in the same house with them. No way. It was hard for Peter. But eventually he did. He ate with them. He allowed unbelievers to stay overnight with him in the same house where he was. But then he got nervous. He began to pull away in time from those who were not from his same culture, those who were uncircumcised. There came a time when Peter, who started well, pulled away and would not eat at the same table with Christians who had not been circumcised, who were not obeying the law of Moses. The Apostle Paul had to confront him, confront him to his face and saying, you are wrong, Peter. He confronted him in front of everybody else. Just a little touch of theology. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the church of Ephesians, he was telling them, I've got a mystery that I'm sharing with you. A mystery. What is that mystery? As Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus, probably somewhere near where the Apostle John is, here is what was going on. The Apostle Paul said that the barrier of hostility that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles and all the nations has been brought down through the cross. Jesus Christ, in dying on that cross, pulled down the barrier that was existing between the Jews and and the Gentiles, and the nations themselves. The barrier was brought down. And Jesus was uniting all nations, all these diverse peoples, together into unity in himself. As he brought people into saving faith into himself, as people turned to Jesus Christ through the cross, they become one. That's what the mystery is. But then the Apostle Paul said, but... That mystery has to be put on display. We can't just talk about the mystery theologically right now here at Beacon Light and talk about how the cross brings the barrier down that divides people. We can't just say theologically right now sitting in this place that 
we're brought together in unity through our faith in Jesus Christ, it has to be put on display. You have to demonstrate it. They will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. You've got to demonstrate it. And that's why Paul finishes off that great mystery in Ephesians by saying this, the mystery is revealed through the church. The church is on display right now in a messed up world. It is painfully messed up with the division. And the answer to the mess is the church with Jesus Christ at its head. You're the answer. You're the answer to the mess here in Gary, in northwest Indiana. You're the answer. You're the mystery revealed. Two weeks ago, I preached a message about God's love for us and considering it. I concluded that message by giving you a prayer that Paul gave. Remember how it went? For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And you know how that went on and on. And he said, I pray out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and deep and wide and long is the love of Christ. And to know this love that passes all understanding so that you could be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh, what a great prayer. And it was so true. Do you know where the Apostle Paul prayed that prayer at what time? It's important to see where that prayer shows up in Scripture. Here is where it showed up in Scripture. It was exactly after he told the Ephesians that the great mystery is that you... Ephesians, all people really, but you Ephesians that are so diverse are being made one through the cross and through your faith in Jesus Christ. And now you've got to live that out. And the Apostle Paul knew that they had to have a better handle on what love even is. So he was praying. He immediately after he told them that, he knew that they were going to need the power of God and the power of his love. And so he prayed that they would have a better sense of how much God loves them so that they, in turn, could go and do the same thing. I started this message saying that Peter said to Jesus, Never, Lord, when Jesus was going to wash his feet. Why did Jesus insist that Peter allow him to wash his feet? And the reason is, is because it's hard. Peter doesn't want the Son of God washing his sinful feet. But that was the very point. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the sinless one, is coming down and he is meeting with these sinful disciples the gap, the distance, is, it's incalculable. How do you measure the difference between who Jesus is and the people he is now going to 
wash. And it's not that he's just going to wash them. Peter said, well, then please, Lord, wash my head. Wash my head. Don't wash my feet. That's the lowest part of who I am. And that's the point. And Jesus says, if I have so loved you, so you must love one another. Beacon Light, this is not an experiment. Our church and what is happening is God continues to use us to be a truly a community church, reflective of this community. This is not an experiment anymore. This is life. This is real. This is kingdom. And this is pointing to Jesus Christ, who is the only one that can make this possible. It's Jesus He saves our soul, reconciles us to God. And through that same cross and that same life, he reconciles us to one another. I went to pray with an elderly saint this past week on Tuesday. She's dying, one of our church members. I went to visit her, and as I was getting ready to leave, I said to her, I won't mention her name right now because I don't want to, but I said, what can I pray for? She couldn't lift her head. She just turned her head and she looked at me. And here's what she said. Pastor John, she said, this is my prayer, that all the churches would get together. They're so far apart. That was it. That all the churches would get together. They're so far apart. The Bible says, love one another. We need to do that on a local level, but then Beacon Light, we're part of a broader community, all the churches, and by God's grace, we'll find how we can join them in loving one another. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, God Almighty, lead us, we pray. We're so small. But Lord, you have something beautiful unfolding here in our church. Lord, help us uh, in the name of Jesus to more and more be like him. Help us to love one another. And then, Lord, would you use us in a powerful way uh, to bless this community? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.